0: Thank you. welcome back to another edition of the Conspiracy Skeptic Unplugged. I'm your Conspiracy Skeptic, Carl Maymer. And uh, with me today is for the grand opening of uh, the Conspiracy Skeptic Unplugged uh, is my guest, uh, Brian Thompson, who is the host of the Amateur Scientist podcast. Hey, how are you doing?
1: Hi, Brian. How are you doing? I'm good. For the grand opening, I wish I had one of those giant pairs of scissors to cut an oversized ribbon. You know, in Korea what they would do for
0: grand openings, I mean from the littlest hole in the wall store to like the biggest store, they would get uh two like women in like mini skirts and uh tube tops and then they would put them under like a balloon arch and they would have them dance all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you can imagine they would have to do this on very narrow sidewalks and sometimes, you know, they would have to just put them in the street you know, so like one would dance and the other one would like
1: watch for traffic, and uh, it, yeah. What are Korea, we like laying down cardboard and breakdancing, or, or like a seductive <laughs> sort of shimmy?
0: Yeah, I just kind of like this Madonna stuff. You know, like a lot of hip thrusting and and that that sort of thing. Yeah, Korea was nonstop fun. Every everywhere you turn, there was something slightly insane. But My uh, yeah,
1: bit of Korea about Korea is and I don't know if this is if this is if it ever was true or if it is still true right. that um blind people or only blind people are allowed to be massage therapists
0: oh yes yes that that's that's true uh i i think i think they were trying to do it do away with that law a couple of years ago but then uh then the blind people were like well what are we going to do for a living yeah right <laughs> there, there's 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 not a lot of like social services there so uh you know yeah, it's like
1: well so Hi. Yeah.
0: Guess. It's like sell pencils on the subway or massage people. That's about that's about it. Yeah. I
1: guess it's blind people They don't really set their sights anywhere. They yeah. Don't think of it. Anyway.
0: Anyway. Right. Right. Yeah, so uh so Brian is actually sort of the inspiration for uh this uh version of the podcast. Uh but I'm 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 still doing the uh sort of the solo Project where I sort of research uh, a topic and then sort of you know read it, and uh, but but then you, you kind of on your show Brian the amateur scientist podcast what you do is you sort of do a sort of a kind of a semi-prepared show but then you uh, then intersperse that with you call in, inside the amateur scientist studio is
1: that what it's called? That's right. Uh, yeah, that's that's totally my original idea. Inside yes. The- Scientist Studio. It's not a reference to anything else.
0: Uh,
1: Yeah, used to do, in the old days of the podcast, we would do the standard um, uh, sort of like the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe format. Right. We would have uh, an interview, and then we'd also do news. The only reason we did that in the same show, though, was because we didn't think there was any reason anyone would want to listen to us unless we had other well-known people on to interview. Right, right. So now we've got listeners that prefer the regular show and could really do without the interviews but i still do them because i I like talking to people and i like filling up my cell phone with with well-known people's phone numbers it makes me feel important
0: well you you had what i uh, i
1: thought was a real major coup in terms of
0: interviews and i'm surprised no other podcasts ever picked up on it you had uh you interviewed the smoking man from from x-files william b davis right
1: Mm -hmm. yeah he's uh, uh he's canadian and um he was up in Vancouver doing some something, shooting a movie or whatever. And uh, I found his his personal website and just emailed him because I had I had found a website that was uh, a list of famous atheists. Okay, and, uh, and he was listed. And, and I looked him up, and it turns out that he had done work with the um, with Psychop, and he had hosted a uh, skeptical, kind of a skeptical version of those paranormal anthology shows. Ah, like oh, really. Um, And and so he was pretty big into that sort of thing. And so we we got to talking and and he agreed to come on the show. He was very kind to do it because he had really no good reason to. Well, that was a really cool interview. And, and, I I didn't realize he actually sort of
0: has is out there in the skeptical community. I th- I I thought you kind of like uh you know sort of you know busted that that uh, that open but um yeah but that was that was that was a really cool interview and I encourage my listeners to to I'll, I'll put a link to it on the website. It's st- it's still up and available, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can go to amateurscientists.org and, and you can find it pretty easily. I, I try for I try to, to to book people that I haven't heard on other podcasts before. Right. Um, which is, is somewhat hard to do, which is why the interviews have sort of slacked off in, in recent months. It's, I'd rather not do an interview than do an interview with somebody I've heard a thousand right, yeah. times, even if yeah. it's somebody that I, I really admire and like.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, it's like the, uh, I mean, I, however much I love the amazing Randy, he's on a lot of, you hear him interviewed a lot, and. He's got a lot of stories, but you know, sometimes you're like, okay, I know what story he's telling now. You know, oh no, it's the one about the Dowsers, You know, and about the uh, you know the one Dowser who says, oh, I think I was fooled by myself, and then you know, 15 minutes later, he calls up and says, you know, I, I've heard that story so many times. I mean, it's a great story, and Randy's a great you know a great a great interview. But but yeah, yeah, it's, yeah.
1: it's funny. I feel I feel really really fortunate. I mean, that's that's probably my favorite thing about having done the the podcast and and the website is is getting to meet Randy and uh you know whenever i open up skype he's he's always online he's very very accessible more accessible than than any sort of well-known person that that i've ever encountered before it's very easy to just email him or just send him a skype message he's always willing to come on it's it's tempting to have him on all the time but but you're right, right. you do get to the point where you've you've heard his stories before and it's like it's like one of those um it's like a a, a a your favorite uncle who like yes. at Thanksgiving, tells a story that you really love over and over and over I, again every year. You always look forward to it, but exactly uh, you know
0: yeah, exactly, yeah, not, 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 not to slight Randy in, in the least. it's just you know it's, just, it's sometimes nice just to hear like other people, but you, you, know, you know who I think is a, I mean I've never interviewed him, and you've never interviewed him, but a, a great interview is uh, uh Phil Plate um he's been doing you know the the book rounds with his death from the skies and uh and i was really afraid you know like oh he's going to be telling the same stories every interview and uh, it was quite amazing like i mean five different interviews but you know the same book and it was something fresh every time it was like like wow yeah, yeah i love phil-
1: listening to phil and, and i've been, i've tried to get him on the podcast before but he, he never responds to my emails the closest he came was he uh he uh he sort of Dropped in. On, we did a, a live blog on uh, on election night, and yes, yes. Uh, and he he dropped in to give us some updates from his home state. And yeah, you you you
0: were kind enough to have me on that, a Canadian, to uh, <laughs> to discuss the American election.
1: Yeah, yeah, we had a That was a, that was an interesting night. Uh, we should, that we should do that again sometime. We had a lot of people just sort of stop by the website. It was hosted on on amateurscientist.org. Also, with the uh, it was on skeptic. And, uh, and we had a few hundred people drop by through the court. I mean, it, and it went on far longer than, than I was on. I mean, I was on through most of the night and eventually I right. had to sleep and I, I logged <laughs> back in the next morning and there were still people chatting in the little chat room next to the live block. So I guess it was a success.
0: Wow. So, uh, I should get some biographical data. You were, uh, you're from, uh, you're from Louisiana. That's right. All right. And you, you, you're, you're still living there.
1: Yeah, I live I live in the um, in the other Louisiana. When when you say Louisiana, people have a very clear picture in their head of like bayous and Spanish moss and people think right, yep. alligators that they've tamed. Um, yep, yep. Yeah, I, I live in North Louisiana, which is basically oh. it's basically Arkansas. It's uh, right. it's flat, and uh, you know there are bayous, but. No tamed alligators, although, you know, there were some alligators around my house growing up, but you don't oh. hear you don't hear like the Cajun accent very often and the food isn't quite as spicy. It's it's a little more boring. So, yeah, I live in I live in the other Louisiana, but it's still wow. technically Louisiana
0: the 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 guest i had on for the the beta edition of this uh uh jennifer young she was you know my my former uh co-host on my uh, soul survivors podcast and and she's from louisiana and uh, it doesn't ring a bell does it Gen- jennifer young oh uh, sorry jennifer jennifer booker that's her maiden name her slave name is jennifer <laughs> young well,
1: her well, full disclosure yes it does sound familiar and yes we know each other but Louisiana is trying to maintain this air of cosmopolitan living, so oh, we're, right. we're under orders from our state government not to acknowledge that we know everybody who lives in the state.
0: Oh, okay, so she's not like your, your, your cousin sister or anything like that.
1: It's very possible, and by possible I mean likely that she is, but okay. I, can't, I can't acknowledge that under penalty of jail.
0: And again, uh, I think because uh, you had me on your podcast as a guest, and I think I think I said, uh, Brian, please make as much fun as possible of Canadians. So you have you 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 have license even on my podcast to make as much fun of Canadians as you. Oh, no, I would.
1: don't I don't make fun of I like Canadians. I, I really enjoy Canadians, and one of my favorite hobbies is watching uh, like the the Fine Living Network and like the the Home Improvement Home Interior Decorating shows because they apparently all come from Canada. Oh and, really now? Uh, yeah, there's there's like the Sarah Richardson show and and several other shows and and I can I can pick them out in about five minutes as soon as somebody says a boot, um, <laughs> you can tell you're going to see that CBC logo at the end of the show. It's it's a uh, wonderful pastime. It can make a great drinking game actually.
0: <laughs> Sometimes uh, you say things on your podcast, and I'm never sure if you're serious or if you're telling the truth. Like uh, who, who who's your your co-host who? claimed he was living in like a bunker for a while.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, my co-host on the podcast is Bob Teague. Um, I started out with uh, Richard Peacock, who's a friend of right, mine. Right, yes. He's been a friend of mine for, for years and still is. Um, and he writes for the website still. He's still around. Um, but he sort of uh, bowed out and, and Bob stepped in. Bob, Bob's an interesting character. He's, he's, he's a far more interesting character than I think people who listen to the podcast realize. Um, okay. He and I met years ago because he owned a coffee shop in town. Oh, cool. And um, he sort of ran it into the ground. But in the process of getting <laughs> it into the ground, he had these open mic nights where people All would... Right. And, and, you know, everything from, like, you know, poetry to short stories to interpretive dances with dead fish. Um, people would, would come up and do. And, and I started going out to those. and And he without knowing me, was very, very quick to give me constructive, well, he called it constructive criticism. I, I think he All was right. being an ass. Um, <laughs> but we, we got to know each other pretty well. He worked at the local newspaper also. And, uh, and, yeah, he was for a while, it wasn't technically a bunker, but he was literally living in, like, a tool shed behind a friend's house.
0: Okay, with internet access, though.
1: Yeah, well, he was—he had the Wi-Fi access from your ah. house. Okay. And, kind of <laughs> and yeah, so when, whenever he would do the podcast from the tool shed, there would be this sort of drippy water sound. He used to actually ride his bicycle because he's a hippie and doesn't on a car. All um, right. He would ride it several miles to my house and and get here all sweaty and nasty. Oh. Um, <laughs> and so. <laughs> he was he he was about to move to new york and so we decided we needed to test the um the remote skype access and get right. it from the bunker a few times but yeah technically not in a bunker but just one more bit of trivia about bob he used to be sure. in the um in the coast guard okay and i'm not sure if this is why he was discharged but it couldn't have helped that uh at one point well, he used to walk around with a copy the, a copy of the Communist Manifesto hanging out of his back pocket. Uh, and then at one point, he saluted his Uh-oh. his superior officer while wearing a Chairman Mao hand puppet. Groovy. Yeah. Yeah, Dude, that, but- that's just the type of guy Bob is.
0: All right. But that didn't get him, like, drummed out of the service, though. I,
1: I can't say that it didn't, but I can't say that it did either. All
0: right. Right. And and then another another uh thing you said on the amateur Scientist podcast is you you were talking about uh you're a teacher and um something about uh, and, and this this really rang true in you know my experience teaching in Korea that um um something about after a while you sort of uh, you, your students you you just want to st- like stab them through the eyes until they're dead or something like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah that's 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 uh, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah, I yeah. would say. Um,
0: yeah, when you said that, I knew I knew you were really a teacher. I'm like, yeah, you must have really been a teacher because that's
1: how you know. That's the secret handshake is is homicidal <laughs> tendency. <laughs>
0: exactly, like to stab your kids through their eyes until dead with their own little pencils, you know
1: yeah well i had the, I had the misfortune of being in addition to teaching high school English and speech classes I also taught middle school, which is you know seventh and eighth grade so yeah. these are kids that are really concerned about being cool and impressing each other, but they don't have the maturity level to understand when their sort of social climbing becomes obnoxious right. So they're they're unruly, and and I taught at a very small private school, and you know normally the the classrooms are only big enough for about you know twelve or fourteen kids per class, and I was faced with a room full of twenty five seventh graders one hour, and then the very next hour twenty five eighth graders, and. they they sort of wear on the nerves after after a while, and you you start to fantasize about you know different unfortunate accidents that they might <laughs> meet, you know. But on on the other hand, there there are several students of mine who I enjoyed quite a bit and who I still keep in touch with today yes, on a indeed. regular basis. But yeah, for the most part, not so much. Not so much. Not a very fun, not a very fun job, and and not a ver- not a job that's really open to critical thinking skills. You, you and you,
0: you, you kind of got caught up in that. You, you're you're no longer a teacher.
1: Yeah, I was I was asked to leave, and um, not for I wearing a, a, not for wearing a Chairman Mao t-shirt. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not a fan of Chairman Mao. Although if I thought it might get me in trouble, I, I could have worn a Chairman Mao t-shirt. Now that I think of it, uh, no, I, I was a There were a variety of reasons, but I think I think. The the sort of final straw was I, I had an eighth grade girl that I was teaching who, um, and no, this is not about to take some sort of salacious turn. Okay. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> no, um, she she was telling me about about this this house that burned down like down the street from her house or something. All right, and uh, she said that the only thing that survived the fire was the Bible. Okay, and I I told her to just you know stop. And uh, and think about this story before she goes around telling a bunch of people. And, and I asked her, first of all, did you did you see this this Bible? And she said, no, this is just something that I was told. And and I said, well, that, you know, that's that's the first indication that there might be something fishy about this story. And, and the second indication is that it, it seems unlikely because Bibles are flammable and she said no you don't understand it, it was a miracle you see ah. uh, the bible was miraculously saved and i said well that that could be but don't you think it would have been more miraculous if god had burned only the bible and saved the house yeah, there'd uh, be a much more powerful miracle right you would think you would yeah. think <laughs> and uh i don't think. God, it,
0: because God can take one for the team, you know, in terms of, well, there's a lot of Bibles, you know.
1: Right. You know, you can go get them at the Christian bookstore. I mean, they're, they're over- In price, motels. But, you know, it, it's not irreplaceable. Like right. all of your belongings on yeah. your home. <laughs> yeah, your um, property. <laughs> <laughs> so I, she didn't care for that that, that reasoning, and not, neither did her parents, and I believe that <laughs> They inform the school board, but you know it's 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 kind of the hassle of working at a at a small private school. There are very good things about it and very bad things about it, and one of them is that the parents have much more power than they do at a public school um, oh, yes so right you that sort of leads to some problems for anyone that sort of steps out of bounds of the norm. But you know, I, I I had mostly good experiences there, and I liked most of the people I worked with. So it wasn't huh. all bad. It huh. was a learning experience.
0: And what what do what are you doing now? Like, what what sort of line of work are you in now?
1: Uh, right now, I I for the during the day, I'm a legal clerk, paralegal, I guess. Uh, I don't know okay. what people call it around the country. Okay. I work for a law firm, um, and uh, I also do a lot of writing outside of amateurscientists.org. I write. Video game news for uh, a couple of video game websites, uh, beefjack.com and okay. onelifegamer.com. So uh, I, I keep busy. And then I, I write my weekly Ask an Amateur Scientist column for pinkraygun.com. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, all sorts of other things. So I keep very busy and I, I alienate myself from my friends and loved ones.
0: Do do, do you get free video games for this uh, writing gig?
1: Not yet, but apparently that's going to actually, um, actually today. I, I got, I got sent my first free thing, but uh, you know, I, I haven't gotten it in the mail yet, so I can't say yes at the moment. But it looks like okay. it'll be happening sometime very soon.
0: Wow! Uh, See, I, I used to review video game or computer games for. Uh, uh, paper here in Toronto, and, uh, and it was the classic, you know, um, you know, chocoholic working in a chocolate factory where, you know, the first few months is just, it's the greatest job in the world, and then after about six months, it's a job, and it's horrible, right. and, uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I was, I, I felt that way about halfway through a game, I had to review Last week, I was I was playing through and and really really hating it and thinking that if I didn't have to write about this, I would throw it across the room right now. <laughs> but no, yeah, yeah. A- it was, yeah, it was like the the mid nineties, and
0: and I did it literally did not touch a computer game from about nineteen ninety four until probably about uh, two thousand <laughs> and three, uh, and and it. it I just had no desire to play computer games. And it was like the, uh, it's sort of like, uh, you you know, you've just sort of lost the, the desire to sort of have sex. You know, you can, you can, can't be aroused by anything anymore. And, 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 you know, the frustration sort of comes in, you know, it's like, this used to give me pleasure. It, it, Gives me nothing now. I can look at this, you know, woman, you know, naked, and it gives me nothing. You know, no pleasure, no sense of arousal, and but you know, so the frustration sort of comes in. But I really used to really like and enjoy this, and I just feel nothing now. Like it was that that weird emptiness in me, you know.
1: Yeah, hearing you say that makes me makes me really glad that I didn't take a job I was offered a couple of years ago to write for a porn website. Oh God. <laughs> Because that's not never anything I want to get
0: sick of. Yeah, because, I mean, you can get sick of computer games. There's other stuff, you know, uh, blackberries, <laughs> things like that. I don't know. But, yeah, man. And uh, so a- Amateur Scientist podcast, um, it, there's not a lot of – you're not, like, doing science on that podcast. Because, you know, when people uh, – People first might see the uh, you know the name. They must go. Oh, they're scientists. You know, amateur scientists. But you know, they're like Mr. Wizard or something. But uh, what what is sort of the origin of the name? Why amateur scientist? Because well, you guys aren't scientists. I take it you and you and Bob. no, not 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 in the
1: least. Um, yeah. actually,
0: Richard I, Richard, I get a sense was maybe was doing something in a white coat.
1: I don't Richard know. Richard actually but, is a is a computer scientist. Um, he all has right. a. But that's not, not really a real scientist. He does web development, um, but he's sure. actually pursuing a degree in biology. So maybe one okay. day he will be a real scientist. Okay. Um, no, I, I, um, the way it started is, is I was going to this Buffy the Vampire Slayer website. Okay. And, you know, reading news about about Joss Whedon, who who created Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I, I like his TV shows. He also created Firefly and a couple other things. I was reading about him and, and somebody posted an ad. Actually the editors of Pink Gray Gun posted an ad for a, a writer to write a weekly sort of critical analysis of different episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And uh-huh. I had just gotten fired from my teaching job and, and was getting <laughs> I was getting paid through the summer, so I didn't I didn't need another job for three or four months. All right. And I had a lot of free time on my hands. I was just sitting at home wallowing in my own filth and <laughs> I decided to take up that offer and I sent them some writing samples and they ended up finding a somebody who teaches Buffy the Vampire Slayer analysis at the college level to write that oh. column. Oh so wow. <laughs> they passed on me for that, but they liked my writing sample and just said that I could do whatever I wanted to do. And I'd been thinking about getting into skepticism more actively for a while and okay. I pitched the idea of doing sort of a sort of like a funny version of the skeptics dictionary every week just sort of picking a topic and and deconstructing it from a skeptical point of view and inserting off-color jokes where necessary okay Um, and so that became the ask an amateur scientist column Um, and the reason i called it ask an amateur scientist is because the very first column was about the Loch Ness Monster and at the time, there was a gentleman who had released new pictures of the Loch Ness monster, supposedly. All right. And he described himself in all of the news stories as an amateur scientist. And ah, I just thought okay. it was funny that all, all these stories you read about these quacks with pictures of UFOs or green monsters or, or magical gnomes are always amateur scientists or right, <laughs> amateur right. astronomers whatever. And I got to thinking that 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 really is just a euphemism for not a scientist. Yeah, uh-huh. it's like the uh,
0: like your your backyard uh, perpetual motion machine guy, right? right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're, if
1: you're an amateur physicist, that me- what that means is you are not a physicist. So um, it's kind of <laughs> exactly. counterintuitive. So I, I decided to call it "Ask an Amateur Scientist" as sort of a joke on that particular trope of. Wacky news stories, which is kind All of right. obscure, and then, and then I I started sort of retrofitting it to mean that that what I write about is is critical thinking that anyone can can employ, and it doesn't matter if you're trained in the sciences or are an academic. I think uh, the history of skepticism is full of um, old men with long white beards and universities right, yes. that just poo-poo and humbug things. And uh, I wanted to sort of get away from that and just sort of employ skepticism as a mode of thinking and, right. and also add some some comedy to it. So, you know, the website came from the column and then the podcast came from the website and the amateur scientist thing is just sort of stuck with all of them. So, yeah, God, people just, do get frustrated because they don't know where to find the podcast on iTunes or whatever. They're looking under science and it's actually under comedy because I don't feel right about you know, there are other podcasts out there that actually have informative science content. And we right, don't right. that. We just make fun of, of the news. <laughs> and, and amateur is hard, hard to spell. Yes. It's, it's I guess, French in origin. And people just, they, especially in North America, they balk at the idea of spelling anything in the French way. Hence the and, and
0: speak Speaking of iTunes, if you go to iTunes and look at your uh, podcast on iTunes in, in the reviews um, – <laughs> There's obviously a lot of people who get your humor, but there there's a couple choice uh, reviews where clearly they they don't get the joke, and uh, and uh, I don't know do do you do you find this at some of your listeners maybe because uh, you you're you've got you don't you don't pull punches and and uh, I, I think he had one thing about Koreans or something on one podcast <laughs> that was I that was just like oh my god or like your uncle was in the war in korea and it's something about how that joke go About the only something the only koreans are good for something one thing or something i don't know
1: it was it was like i was just like uh, i don't remember exactly but i think that i think that anybody can sort of figure out the gist of that yeah
0: a warm Um, a warm place to put a body part i think was what your uncle's (laughs) line was i'm just like i'm just like you know kind of like you know you're on the subway and suddenly you're just you're just bawling like a madman. And,
1: and, y- yeah, you know, some people, I think, go into it expecting expecting a more serious, skeptical podcast, and it's right. really not. Um, and that's the only explanation I can think of for the people that don't like it. I mean, comedy is, 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 is tough. It's very subjective, and it's hard to explain why, why something is or isn't funny. And if you're not clicking with it, then you're not clicking with it. I don't begrudge the people who leave bad reviews on iTunes, although I do take comfort uh, looking at the things that they've given good reviews to. I think one of them was a huge, huge fan of Hall & so <laughs> I felt better about them not liking our podcast. Yeah. Well, I got was- to take small comfort where I can. There's that expression
0: something about, you know, satire. Satire works best when some people just don't get it, you know.
1: Yeah, I would feel I would feel weird if if everybody liked. I mean, in any sort of endeavor, any sort of project I've ever done, you know, I've done a lot of different things over the years, and it seems that the things that I find most creatively satisfying are the ones that aren't designed to connect with everybody. Uh, I feel I feel better about a few people loving the podcast than I do about everybody liking it, uh, and I can deal with people hating it, you know, in the, in the meantime. Um, yeah, you know, I don't get a lot of negative feedback as far as like most of the emails we get are positive. Okay. Either either positive, or there's some sort of question about something that we've we've talked about. We don't get negative feedback. In fact, the only negative feedback we've gotten is on the iTunes review page, which right. is, uh, uh You know the the website. You know it's updated daily with little blog posts about different news stories and and you know the comments on the website can range from horror to anger to amusement. Um, but as far as the podcast go, it's, it's goes, it's mostly, mostly positive feedback. And, you know, I, there was someone who um, wrote us an email or left a review somewhere. I can't remember which, but said that, that, the, that was their favorite podcast. Um, and, you know, that kind of thing makes, makes it worth all of the negative feedback. If, if it 's somebody 's favorite thing, I mean, I think about all the podcasts I listen to right, and it 's a bunch and and to be the favorite of everything out there i i don 't understand why ours would be anyone 's favorite because there are several that are much much better but uh if if somebody is is putting it at the top of their list, then we must be doing something right I guess I mean we just Bob and I just try to amuse ourselves basically and if people if people else other people can can jump on board, then that's just gravy.
0: Well as i said to uh, on on the beta edition of this uh to Jennifer that she's from Louisiana as well I, I noticed that the my the three three favorite voices uh you know i like on my uh mp3 player are all from Louisiana so there's there's you there's Jennifer and there's uh Michael Guto from uh, uh Pen Radio and all all, th- all three are from Louisiana i'm like what what is this i don't know but yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, maybe it's something in the bayou down here. I think that, I think a lot of it has to do with the south and in general you I think you find a lot of people who are itching to run contrary to the general consensus down here.
0: Um, right, right, sure. You
1: know, a lot of us grow up very religious, very conservative and so we we're trying to Break free from that. I guess it's just a, an act of rebellion. I, actually, now that I think about it, it's just immaturity. So, <laughs> well, nice what, what? What's that? What's that dish you prepare
0: in a garbage can down there? Hobo uh, um, chili. No, um, no, no. Where uh, they uh, can the prepare anywhere. Cra- I mean, cray crayfish. A crayfish. Oh,
1: crawf- craw. Well, so, yeah. The, some people call them crawfish. Some people call them crayfish. Some people call them crawdads. Uh, occasionally, they're known as mud bugs. But uh the most common by far down here is crawfish. Yeah. Okay. They're little um they're basically giant insects. I mean they look like tiny lobsters. And yeah, we boil them in giant vats and we, we season them and then we rip their heads off and eat their meat.
0: All right, yeah. Cause you, you you were talking about that on your podcast and then on the uh Jennifer, she she's moved on to another Korean podcast called uh uh Soul Podcast and then and her co host uh Joe, he's from Alabama. He's sort of a, a neighboring state of, of yours. And and they were both talking about the uh you know like the uh yeah the crayfish boil or the crab boils or something like that and and uh,
1: Yeah it's a uh, big thing down here. I mean it, that stuff people love I, I I like I mean it's a lot of work to, to get the thing cracked open and they sell these little um finger protectors okay for cracking open the crawfish and they look like little Fabric condoms. <laughs> you wear them on your finger and you crack open the tail and you take the meat out. And the people that are – you know somebody is is a native crawfish eater because they will rip the head. you know, Picture just a tiny lobster. Rip the there tail off and then stick their mouth over the open end of the torso and suck all of the meat <laughs> out of the head of the crawfish. <laughs> Apparently it's delicious. I can't go that far. I'll, I'll eat the tail meat and I'll eat okay. the meat. But I okay.
0: I uh, you know, in Korea they uh, th- they would serve huge plates of like seafood, you know, like crab and shrimp and fish and and uh, and then uh, what they would do is they would just sort of bury it under this this mountain of uh, sort of chili paste uh, 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 called go- gochujang, just sort of this evil red chili paste, which which is which is nice in moderation, but you know when you're just kind of like you know, having to sort of poke through this, you know, this this mountain of red hot sauce that defined the, you know, the delicious seafood. I'm like, eh, that's that's uh, that's ruining it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't want to sound xenophobic or anything, and I really enjoy cooking and I, I like food and and I think I have a fairly sophisticated palate. But there, there is some aspects of Asian cuisine that I just find mind boggling.
0: It's the living
1: octopus uh, that I found
0: strange. <laughs> the, it would throw uh, like live octopus, like legs, tentacles on your plate, and uh, then want you to eat it.
1: Wow! <laughs> All right. Had, I mean, but, I've had octopus before, and I, I, I've enjoyed it, but I don't think I would like it still squirming, fighting. Actually,
0: <laughs> you, you, you got to sort of really like, you know sort of administer the coup de gras in your mouth you know like to just kill those legs before they go down your throat
1: like and, 1950s atomic science fiction movie well yes basically
0: all right all right and i got the, i guess the, the the point of uh conspiracy skeptic unplugged i was going to call it conspiracy skeptic uh In the in the conspiracy skeptic studio, but I thought, yeah, but I thought, no, you might accuse me of stealing your idea fully, stealing my stolen idea. Yeah, oh yeah. So uh, in the in the uh, conspiracy skeptic unplugged is. each guest, usually a uh, notable person in the sort of the skeptical podcasting or blogging world, uh, uh, pick you pick a uh, conspiracy your favorite conspiracy and then I give you couple weeks to research it, uh, this idea this idea, was actually stolen from the Reason-Driven podcast where they would give a sort of a chapter to their guest. For, uh, it was a book called The The Reason-Driven Life, not to be confused with The Purpose-Driven Life. The Reason-Driven Life, they would give their guest a chapter to read and then they would, after he's read it, they would have him on and they would talk about it. So, so I sort of m- merged those two brilliant ideas into one uh, synthesis synthesis uh that thing and that thing yeah (laughs) that word and uh and and creating something basically not quite as good so anyways uh your conspiracy brian what was your favorite conspiracy
1: Uh, i chose the illuminati which is sort of a giant all-encompassing conspiracy with with an actual concrete basis in reality
0: Right. So, what was was the history of the Illuminati? It's called like it goes back to the what's called the Bavarian Illuminati.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, there's not a lot of documentation on it, but uh, as far as what we do know for semi certain, there was a group called the Bavarian Illuminati uh, in Bavaria, as you might be able to guess, uh, right. around the, the latter half of the 18th century. And right. uh, This was, you know, the Age of Enlightenment, so there were a lot of philosophers and thinkers that were big on rationalism and skepticism and, and atheism. And, uh, there was a gentleman, he was a professor of canon law at Ingolstadt university. His name was Adam Weishaupt or Weishaupt, right. Depending on who's saying it. Um, he was, it's what, it's yeah, it's just one of those
0: names. You sort of look, you, you read and you go that guy, And he yeah, never
1: that. really ever stopped to actually pronounce it. Yeah, that one, that, that dude. Um, Yeah, he he was a a professor, and he was very, very influenced by this Enlightenment thinking. The same sort of Enlightenment thinking that influenced the uh, founding fathers of the United States. Uh, You can see a lot of similar influences. They were uh, very uh, pro-rationality, pro-reason, anti-monarchy. And Adam was was very, very militant in his atheism and in his wishes to abolish the monarchy. So um, he decided to sort of become a stealth activist. And at the time, in Bavaria, in the late 1700s, the Catholic Church was incredibly powerful, uh, specifically the the Jesuit sect. And as a university professor, uh, Weishaupt uh, very, very often sort of conflicted with the Jesuits. So he decided to basically adopt their system of a class-based order and turn it into a secret society that he, he stole some of the rituals and some of the initiations and some of the structure from fre- Freemasonry, which was also right. pretty popular in Europe. And his goal was to start a secret society, recruit the sort of enlightened or the potentially enlightened people in Europe at the time, And from the ground up, create a social movement to overthrow the monarchy and create uh, a new society based on reason and natural law and rationality and atheism. Uh, So he set about doing that. And he called it the Illuminati. And it was actually officially founded on May 1st, 1776. And yes, yes. An interesting date. Yes. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, those ideas were very, very appealing at the time. And and I'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't spring up sooner. I mean, you you would think that it would be counterintuitive for people to believe that someone has power over them simply because of right of birth. But, um, you know, at that time, that was becoming harder and harder to stomach for people. And science was starting to kick up and, and people were starting to learn about you know the natural order of things, and and they had a reality to a lot of superstition, or they had a, a an alternative to a lot of superstition and mysticism. So, right. um, so he we started. Well, it's it's yeah.
0: it's it's kind of like uh, you know, like you're you know, there's a big you know uh you know, you know the, the traffic on the highways just stopped dead, and then you know the one guy starts driving down the breakdown lane, and then everybody follows. So it it he. You know, it it seems obvious now, you know, hey, let's all drive down the breakdown lane. But, you know, just you got to wait for that one guy to do it.
1: Yeah. And there was there was a big um, sort of fraternal instinct, I think, amongst a lot of these thinkers, too. I mean, everybody was reading each other's books, exchanging letters. I mean, French philosophers were influencing people in the United States. You know, English philosophers were influencing people in, in all across Europe. So there was—I mean—there was widespread communication. It was, it was almost like the internet today. I mean, with pamphlets and letters and things flying back and forth. It was kind of an exciting time. And um, uh, after a while, the Illuminati started to grow. Uh, they, you know, were just a few hundred people at first, and then they grew into several thousand people. Eventually, they started recruiting people from within Freemasonry. The Illuminati sort of had a pyramid structure. And initiates weren't told the full extent of the secret society at first. You had to sort of work your way up. You had to submit a detailed autobiography of yourself and detail. What do you think about the world? And gradually you were given more and more information, but you know, basically it started to collapse under its own weight, which makes it sort of strange that it's become this catch all conspiracy that people believe still exists today because you know, it, it was a, class of a classic example of what happens when you have a conspiracy that gets too big. Right, it's, yes. There are too many people keeping too many secrets. It got to the point where there were you know, there was there was a European lodge that oversaw national lodges in each European country, and then those have mini lodges in all the different cities and you know, this giant hierarchy. And we know from the letters that Adam Weishaupt sent to his lieutenants and other people that were in the Illuminati with him, that he was starting to grow very discontent with everything. There were a lot of boozing, whoring, uh, self-deluded, self-important people that were trying to, you know, pretend they were more important than others, getting into all sorts of weird mysticism and rituals and basically just mucking up everything. And of course the people in charge started to get word of this. They found out about it and, It only lasted about 10 to 15 years. It's kind of hard to say when it finally collapsed. But there were several edicts that were issued to banning secret societies in general, uh, banning anybody from saying anything about the monarchy, anything against the monarchy, anything against the church. So the Illuminati were guilty of all three of those, and they eventually just disbanded.
0: Um, or, or so we're led to believe.
1: Or so we're led to believe. Yeah, the um, the conspiracy theories today. I mean, the Illuminati has basically become a scape a scapegoat for any number of conspiracy theories. Okay, there are people that say that Adam Weishaupt didn't actually start it; he just restarted it. That it had been a secret society throughout history. Um,
0: Maybe like uh, related to the Templars or
1: something. Yeah, there are people that think that. It's basically, that I think that the, the most common belief is that it it's basically a higher order of the lower secret society. So people think that. Okay. Since Freemasonry is, you know, a more public face, you know, everybody knows what the right. Freemasons exist, even uh, though it's they, they have their like order ranks. And, right, know. they they go out and they you know they ride in parades or whatever the hell Freemasons do. I don't know, um, dress up in skirts and hit each other with hammers. Um, right. I'm not sure what they do with the lodges? The the, um, shri-
0: the Shriners, I think, like the the Shriners are uh, right. lower Shrin- order. Yeah, yeah, yeah the,
1: uh, the Freemasons of the And they ride. Uh, I don't know about up in Canada, but I know around here, whenever there's a uh, uh, like a Christmas parade or something, there's always right. a couple of Shriners in these tiny little. Gas-powered go-karts.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, they do that here too. <laughs> yeah,
1: very, very
0: strange. But yeah, somehow these guys are supposed to be controlling the world. Right? Well,
1: yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of crazy conspiracy theories about the Freemasons that they're direct descendants of an order established by the architect of King Solomon's Temple using sacred geometry from right, um, billions right. or sky beings or angels or whatever. Right. Um, it's so complex all the different beliefs about the Illuminati that it's hard to. To say what one person believes or another person believes, so I think somebody somebody brought up the point, and I don't remember who it was, but I remember reading that you know that's kind of the the perfect way to keep a secret society secret is if two different people who believe in it can't agree on what it actually does. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> so maybe that's maybe that's the ultimate goal of Adam Weishaupt. Uh, there are people that believe that that after the Illuminati, uh, quote unquote, disbanded. Uh, Weishaupt actually went to the states and assumed the identity of George Washington. Oh and, uh, uh, yes, yes. That he yeah. and George Washington shared an uncanny resemblance, and he he had had Washington killed and assumed power in the United States. Uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wacky. Um, I think though my hypothesis, and I can't really back this up with documentation. Okay. But but what I think is that. One of the reasons that the Illuminati has, has lasted so long is because it's got such a cool name. Exactly. I mean, the Illuminati, that's pretty, pretty impressive. You say you're a member of the Illuminati. Uh, it, it sort of got picked up also by the religious fanatics of the late 1800s and early 1900s. They were very right. anti Freemasonry, they were convinced that there was some satanic conspiracy of world leaders. A lot of it having to do with just good old-fashioned anti-Semitism. Right.
0: If I recall... Geez, about in the nineteenth uh, century, kind of you know the first couple generations of Americans had you know been born in America, and they you know, and then now there's a, there was another great wave of immigration, a lot of Irish and stuff like that coming in, and uh, and yeah, and 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 there was a and there was sort of a big like, lot of conspiracies, you know, European anti-European conspiracies sort of kicking around at that time.
1: Sure, yeah, and and everything can be sort of it's. Basically, all good conspiracy theories are a template that you can you can fit to, to meet whatever requirements you feel are necessary. So let's say that you don't like secret societies, you don't like Freemasons. Well, you can, okay. you can create a free, you can create a conspiracy theory about how the Freemasons are responsible for everything bad that happens in the world. For sure, and, and the fact that they're a secret society. Just feeds that because the, you know when there's no evidence of anything they've done that's evidence that they're so good at being secret, so you can't it exactly. really, shows
0: can't really, you their power
1: right, and you know th- there's no question that there are several important people throughout the world throughout history who were members of different secret societies there were very influential, important people that were actually members of the Bavarian Illuminati um, which is it's not really surprising I mean Important people fraternize with important people. I mean, if right. If you look at, you know, People Magazine, actors are constantly marrying and cheating on each other, and and that's because all they see every day are other actors. If you're, you know, the King of France, you're going to be hobnobbing with King others. of Belgium. Right. Um, if yeah. you're an, a, an academic, you're going to be hobnobbing with other academics. So, you know, yeah, the, the people in power do conspire. But um, not necessarily in the way that some would like to believe and not in such a such a broad capacity, because they really do. I mean, whenever they're and the Illuminati did start out as, as a as a conspiracy with an agenda to take down the monarchy system in Europe. And it didn't work because people don't really work together too well in giant, giant groups and nobody can keep a secret. Did you ever hear of a, a
0: game company called Steve, Steve jackson games no oh uh, well they oh uh, they i think they make a role playing game called riffs or something um maybe not riffs i'm i'm a Geek, but I'm a forgetful geek. (laughs) But anyway, there's a a game called uh, Steve Steve Jackson Games, and they they make a lot of role playing games. But at one point, they made a uh, they made a card game, like sort of like Magic the Gathering, but like years before Magic the Gathering, a card game called uh, Illuminati, and uh, and you would sort of play cards, and you had different little. The idea is like there's one Illuminati, and it controlled all these smaller. you know secret societies and and the idea is to sort of you could uh create your own power base and uh so you had like you know the freemasons and the shriners and the cfr and 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 one of the secret societies was uh was the trekkies
1: mm.
0: <laughs> and uh and ever, ever, ever since then whenever i talk about you know conspiracy theories i, I always Try to you know drop the the trekkies in, in, as one of the you know the powerful secret societies out there, my own podcast a lot of times I always sort of you know that's the punchline of some sort of joke And, you know the reverse vampires, which is a sort of reference to The Simpsons, the reverse vampires, and the trekkies and uh which is just a very obscure reference to that Steve jackson uh, <laughs> card game Illuminati, which yeah, you know, maybe there's there's to- five forty year old <laughs> geeks
1: out there who will know that you know. When you have something with such a cool name and such name recognition, that's also copyright free, uh, it can pop up in a number of different places. I believe the Illuminati were the, the the villains in the second Tomb Raider movie. Um, ah, okay, right, yeah. The the name pops up from time to time in, in several different places. I think that actually the the modern, uh, and by modern I mean like you know latter half of the twentieth century, obsession with with the Illuminati has a lot to do with the a book series called the Illuminatus Trilogy.
0: Oh, right, 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 yes. Yeah. By uh who who uh, who uh, wrote
1: Dr. that? Wilson and Robert Shea. Okay,
0: right. They were a- Anton Yeah. I was gonna say a- a- Anton Wilson, I guess. He he went on to sort of turn it into his own sort of cottage industry, right? Yeah. Whereas I think the other guy the other guy just sort of hung back a little bit. Uh, you, you don't you don't hear too much about him, but yeah right. Robert Abert Robert Anton Wilson. He's yeah. dead, isn't he? Dead. He's dead now. He
1: died. He, he died uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, right. Right. Yes. He. Uh, yeah. He, they were Robert Anton Wilson and Robert Shea were both editors at Playboy magazine,
0: and right, uh, right.
1: these were the early days of Playboy when it was less. Well, I mean, it was always about the nudie pics, but it was it was like a men's lifestyle magazine for sort of free thinking, swinging, college educated bachelors, you know. Right. And and they would get. A lot of political letters in their letters column and 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 Bob Wilson and Bob Shea would would go through and and read these letters and they would they would write the official responses to them. And, you know, this was the heyday of paranoia about the government, understandably so. I mean, we're talking Vietnam era and there were some pretty things going down. So, you know, conspiracy theories were afoot and and they started getting all of these letters into Playboy about these different conspiracy theories and about the Illuminati and about how Adam Weishaupt took over George Washington's persona and uh, about all these different things. And so uh, Bob Wilson and Bob Shade, they started compiling all these different conspiracy theories and decided to create a novel, basically working under the assumption that all of the conspiracy theories are true. Right. Yes, <laughs> and it's really it's, it's one of my favorite favorite right. books. Um, it's three books, but you can find them in one volume. I mean, that's really the only way right, yes. you can find them these days, unless you get a really old copy. But, um, it's this just sprawling, psychedelic, action, political thriller comedy. Um, it's really hard to describe, but it, it's really really good, and.
0: It's kind of the gravity's rainbow of you know sort of counterculture, underground, left wing, conspiracy type yeah, writing.
1: It, uh, Bob, I know Bob Wilson was 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 very influenced by um, psychedelic thinkers um, like Timothy Leary. He he was much more of an academic, much more full of a philosopher than than his co writer which I think is why he, he sort of kept up with it over the years, and he released several books right. uh, about the Illuminati in different forms and fashions, and I think that he treated it as sort of a metaphor. Um, you know, I mean, that might be a, a whole different topic. I Rob Wilson I think is one of the underrated writers of his day, and I, I think especially among skeptics, they sort of dismiss him as being this sort of crazy uh, job, Maybe
0: he- he believes his writing, or he be- kind of believes it a bit too right. much and or I, something.
1: I, I don't think that he did. Uh, I'm pretty convinced that he didn't, but I think that he was very interested in these kind of beliefs and what these beliefs represent in sort of a, an archetypal way, in sort of a Joseph Campbellian way as far as, uh, you know, using Jungian philosophy of, of the collective unconscious as, as sort of a metaphor. You know, what what can we learn from the fact that so many people – believe in these massive conspiracies where so many people believe they're being communicated with by aliens. Um, right. You know, what does that tell us about the human condition um, in a way that's not not overly clinical, not overly scientific? I know Bob Wilson had some very harsh things to say about psychop and about James Randi and the types of debunking that I enjoy doing and, and other people. Right, right um because he thought it was just dismissive and you know he had a point i think that he went a little overboard with t- his criticism but i definitely understood where he was coming from but um but that that book really i think a lot of people ended up taking it a little too seriously unfortunately and 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 it sort of gave rise to the illuminati as 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 sort of an a epic, real force as, yeah they're they're like a conspiracy theory of many faces you know they can it all comes back to the Illuminati. My favorite, my favorite explanation for the Illuminati is that there was a great civilization that was somehow destroyed, whether you call it Atlantis or whatever. And the survivors of that civilization kept the technology and the wisdom and the philosophy and kept it secret because they thought that, that their hubris is what destroyed them they believe that this information was seeded and, and kept secret and kept safe by these these secret societies and that, you know, eventually by these long-term machinations, they will be able to work their way back into power and guide humanity for good or ill. Uh, most crazy conspiracy theorists believe that it's for ill and that uh, they're they're seeking to misuse this power and use it to enslave everybody else. Um, you know, it, it, it's the sort of classic conspiracy theory idea that the people in the know want to enslave the people who aren't in the know, and it's up to the people who are wise to the conspiracy to stop them. Yes. And no one else can.
0: Um, well, actually, that sort of brings me to the to the to uh, what I call the uh, the DeAngelis De novella postulates, n- named after... Perry D'Angelo and uh, and um, uh, Doctor Novella from Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. So the uh, you know that the uh, how, how do you how do you sort of distinguish between uh, a real conspiracy you know like arms for hostages or something like that and uh, and you know you know the, the good crazy you know high kookin sort of conspiracy theories that this sort of podcast takes on and people like you and i just you know just love and um and uh so uh you know sort of the deangelis novella postulates sort of posit there's sort of th- three sides to a conspiracy so there's the uh there's the uh the great evil side that and they're incredibly powerful and um they can you know make history disappear they can they can you know marshal you know you know, entire nations and, uh, but, but at the same time, they make very, very sort of primary errors that, you know, that schlubs like us can sort of pick out and go, aha, you know, this foolish error you made shows, you know, reveals the conspiracy. And then there's the, uh, the, the, uh, sheeple who, uh, what's, what's the guy's name? The, uh, uh, the, the Bilderberger guy we're, we're, we're always talking about. Oh, uh, um- Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think he, he doesn't.
1: Doesn't he call call them sheeple? The sheeple. The yeah, uh, I can I can barely understand. Like every other word, he screams so loudly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, the, the sheeple. So they're they're sort of the dupes of the conspiracy, and uh, there some people are just you know blissfully unaware, but then there's people like you and I where you know we we 've been told straight out and given the evidence, but we choose to ignore it and and are uh,
1: well, you know, part of the conspiracy
0: well if we 're not part of the conspiracy we 're the you know we 're the sticker head in the sand sheeple and then and then finally there 's what what uh, what uh, uh you know perry and uh Dr. Stephen Novella called it, they they call the army of light and these are the people who have uh and again I don't know if it's the red pill or the blue pill they've swallowed one of those pills and they can see they can see through the conspiracy and they know the truth and it's their job to take take them down
1: right
0: so uh so, so illuminati uh, so what is what is their uh what is, I guess what is their what is their big evil power and what what's what's maybe like a fundamental primary uh you know error they've made that reveals that reveals their hand
1: well their big evil power is that they have all the power you know that that they're the the power behind the throne right Uh, the 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 fact that they're so secret is what gives them their power the you know that they are pulling the strings on everything so nobody will think you know if you're like a George Bush, for example. There are a lot of conspiracy theories about George W. Bush. He's a lizard. He's a shapeshifting lizard, according to David Icke, yes. yes yeah. Uh, David Icke believes that the Illuminati actually were, are lizard, uh, reptilian aliens who are trying to take over the world. Um, right. And they can shapeshift. But, yeah. Yeah, well, but the basic idea of, of, of a lot of conspiracy theories about him is that he's just the dupe. Yes, you know, right. The dupe the patsy that was hired to be the face of the conspiracy and he'll do what they say and, you know, everybody will blame him for the problems of the world and they won't look beyond him to the real right. people pulling the strings.
0: The man um, behind the curtain.
1: Right. So their power comes from their anonymity and their security comes from their anonymity. Right. Uh, that's, that's their their big evil. But the the problem is, according to Alex Jones and a lot of other conspiracy theorists, is that they do things um, a little too cockily? Uh, they're a little too arrogant with their okay. power. And every now and then, they'll tip their hand. Ah, know? yes. They'll 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 introduce a bill in the United States Congress about uh, building a, a giant road connecting Mexico and Canada, and that uh, right. It's an indication that they're working on a one-world government,
0: right? It's um, it called the, the North American Superhighway. or right? Some, I think Steve right, Jobs
1: yeah. has bought into this as well.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm like, it's a road to get trucks off of the road I use. Right. This, is, this is a this is a bad thing, <laughs> you know? Like,
1: yeah. Well, you know, it all comes back to this sort of isolationist, um, xenophobic. You know, it's it's very just. Dist- I mean, when you really look at at the the origins of where this comes from it comes from a very dark and hateful place a lot of times you know there there's very little difference from the anti-semitic rantings about jewish bankers pulling the strings of the world that you've heard throughout history right uh, yes. and and the the new world order or the illuminati are doing the exact same thing it's just the same story with a different face
0: yeah the names the names change but the uh the, uh, the, 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 so sort of the plot roughly stays the same.
1: Right. Wow. you know, And, and I think there are some people like speaking – just using the protocols of the elders of Zion as an example was a forged document, supposedly the minutes of a secret meeting with, between the Jewish uh, elite who are plotting to take over the world. Um, you know, it sparked a lot of anti-Semitism and, and right. it's arguably led to the Holocaust or at least some of the ideas in the protocols.
0: Well, I, I think I think the thing that really pissed people off about that was weren't there some recipes in there for cooking babies or something?
1: Yeah, that was, yeah, there was the the common belief that the Jewish people fed on the blood of of Gentile babies, <laughs> right? Yeah, but you can see echoes of this throughout different cons- like David. I you know believes that lizard aliens steal human be- beings and bathe in their blood. I mean, it's the exact same right, thing, Right, except Jews. He's saying. Lizard aliens, right? Well, the, the, i don't think not he's, you know, speaking in code or that he's anti-Semitic. Although there are a lot of people that think he is. I don't know. Um, I just, I tend to think that these people, David Icke, Alex Jones, don't understand where these stories came from, and, and they're just sort of playing along with what they've read.
0: Well, there was the uh, in the 80s. I, I, I don't. How old are you, Brian? Uh, Twenty seven. All i right, i'm i'm 42 but uh, i remember during the 80s remember the 80s but during the 80s there was the uh the satanic breeder conspiracy that uh all these, and and like people were going on talk shows like Sally Jesse Raphael and and uh you know Oprah maybe even and um Phil Donahue and uh you know talking about how you know i was uh, you know i was breeding babies for these satanic cults and and you know cuz this is where they were getting their satanic Baby sacrifices victims, or something yes, from the yes, yes. you know, yeah, and uh, it, it was incredible that this is like this was on like daytime TV on like you know, Sally yeah. Jesse Raphael or something, and and like and people were just going, it must be true. And you know, the FBI started to investigate it, and they're like, we can't find anything, but of course, this is just evidence that the FBI is being controlled by.
1: Yeah, it seems pretty. I mean, I, I I do recall the 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 satanic cult scares of the '80s and the, um, you know, the backwards heavy metal music and uh, yes, yes. There were also the uh, the the secret sex ring scares uh, where uh. people were arrested um, because of repressed memories. Ah uh, uh-huh. yes, yes. And yeah, but you know, I don't think any of that is really even any more outrageous than you know, like the other day. Uh, I saw the Martha Stewart show, and she had this so-called doctor on uh, talking about how a low-gluten diet can cure autism. You know.
0: Oh right, right.
1: So yeah, it's just I guess different, different insanity for a different decade. But uh,
0: it's a lower-level insanity, which I'm not sure is it. You because know, if it's really ridiculous insanity, like you know, satanic breeders, you know, <laughs> that's that's so easy to mock. But you know, when it's like you know, when you're now trying to mock you know, fretful mothers. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's, it doesn't play as well. It's a little trickier. Yeah, it's easier to go after the goth kids in black t-shirts. Yeah,
0: than, than the first-time mothers who are like, I'm afraid I'm going to kill my baby now. I'm afraid I'm going to give it autism, you know? It's like,
1: oh, Yeah, but man. you know, it's, it's just, I, I, and that's what that's one of the things I find so interesting about Robert Anton Wilson's writing and a lot of writing about that, about conspiracy theories in general, is that it really does play into uh, this human need to tell a certain kind of story. You know, the, the universe is, is seemingly random and seemingly very right. cruel. And it, it makes sense that people want to sort of impose some order on it, you know, whether it's yes. religion or whatever. Um, and also there seems to be this this innate need for stories about good conquering evil. And you can't have good conquer evil if there's no evil. And uh I, I think that a lot of it just plays into these these human needs for a narrative in their lives. And you know, if you believe that there's some vast evil power working against you and and you know that this evil power exists, you can be a warrior against it and you can play the part in the story. And all the sheeple who are just yeah. dupes are people that you can save, you know? So it gives you a motivation to fight the evil. So, um, you know, it's just, it's play acting, I think, to a large degree. All right. So I guess uh, maybe we should, should wrap it up. Um, any, any other further comments on the Illuminati? Uh, no, I think I think we, we about covered it. I know there are so many different so many different explanations for the Illuminati. I can't keep track of all of them. I love reading about them. Um, so if anybody else can think of any, um, any, any different stories for how the Illuminati formed or what their ultimate, (laughs) who's in charge, you know, they can be interchanged the Illuminati and the new world order often are interchanged. So, um, I would love to hear some more. Um, you know the, there's the the shape shifting lizard aliens are pretty good the the secret keepers of atlantis are, are that 's a pretty good one right
0: right you know, my uh back during my university days my my mother she owned a uh well, like the Canadian version of the sec- or uh, Starbucks is called Second Cup, and uh, and we had uh, Second Cup has like flavored coffees, so, like chocolate raspberry things like that, and uh, and it was sort of fashionable in the uh, early '90s that you would kind of like uh, you'd sort of mix the flavored coffees, and so you know you take uh, you know you know chocolate banana flavored coffee and mix it with French vanilla and call it you know the Sunday or something like that.
1: This is this is what we would this. <laughs> Uh, that reminds me of like when you were twelve years old and you'd go to the to the Seven Eleven and you'd fill up a cup with every kind of. Ah.
0: <laughs> yes, call was it called sw- a
1: suicide, I think.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, or I think we might have called it swamp or something, and in. in, in- <laughs> In my hometown, but uh, so I, I one, co- I made one coffee blend where I took uh, Bavarian Dutch chocolate and French vanilla and mixed them together, and then, uh, and then I, put, I actually made a little sign. I, I work for my university newspaper, so I had, I had. This is like 1991, you know, really before. Everybody had laser printers and Photoshop. So I sort of, between a laser printer and a stat cam, I sort of cobbled together a little sign for the coffee blend and I I called it uh, I called it I called the coffee uh, uh, Illuminati. And uh, and my little logo was sort of like you know the pyramid with the uh, you know on on the back of the, the one dollar bill. But where, where the eye was, you know, I had a little coffee maker up mm-hmm. there, and then uh, and then I, I, I sort of described the coffee as you know a conspiracy of flavors, and and then sort of in really big uh, panicky letters, something like you know the government is watching you through your coffee maker. <laughs> that was that
1: was the blend or something. I don't know. Oh, but no scheme. Everybody has a coffee maker. Yeah,
0: but n- n- no customer ever really got any of the references. <laughs> you know, they would just
1: they would just look at that and they would like, I'll have the Irish cream. <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, you know, the, it's, it's funny because the the eye and the pyramid thing, and, and we didn't even touch on the sort of imagery and and all that stuff the Illuminati. And you know, for people that want to read more about the Illuminati, that's you know something based in fact. Because if you just Google, right. there's no telling right. what comes up. The, I, I found that the best document about the history of the Illuminati, with the most references and sources cited, okay. um, was put up by the American Atheists. Um, oh, really? Because uh, there were, you know, it's basically an essay about, you know, atheism during the Age of Enlightenment, and Adam ah. Weishaupt was a pretty prominent one. Uh, but if you go to atheists.org and you can search around and find it, um, you know, the, there's a, a, an essay called "The Enlightenment, Freemasonry, and the Illuminati," and right. It has a pretty succinct history of the whole thing. It's it's interesting because there's there aren't a lot of primary sources other than the correspondence between Adam Weishaupt and other members of the the society. Um, uh, most of the sources for the outside reaction to the Illuminati are this the angry diatribes written <laughs> by the church. No doubt. So, yes. A lot of them are kind of exaggerated, and it's it's hard to know what's true and what's not. I mean, in his time, Adam Weissat was accused of being a, a Satanist and uh, all sorts of horrible things, even more horrible things than he's cu- accused of being today. So,
0: in, in any of your research, because the the day they were founded, you know, May one, May Day, uh, you know. Uh, any connection between like you know uh may 1 and uh their founding day and sort of the, you know the may 1 holidays that's sort of celebrated you know kind of like a like a labor day in a po- lot of the world outside of north america uh
1: you know i don't i don't i don't know for sure but i would be very surprised if it wasn't uh, if it wasn't coordinated because i think that that i'm not sure if that was the official founding day de- i mean I don't know if that was the actual founding day. I think that might be just what was declared, and I think one of the reasons it was declared as being that day is because it was the holiday.
0: Ah, uh, okay. So it's sort of a bit of a backward revisionism, or something.
1: I would imagine, although I'm not really sure. That's one of the things that's kind of hard to to pin down. I think. Oh wow, that's if interesting. Nobody really knows. Well,
0: cuz you know, in Korea, like Labor Day in Korea was actually May May 1. Like in, in North America, we definitely do not celebrate May 1 as our Labor Day. Uh but probably and because we celebrate the first first Monday in September. Same same you know, Canada and USA, we both celebrate the first Monday in September as as our Labor Day. But uh I wonder why they they you know, they specifically changed it from May one, which I think a lot, a lot of the world, not not necessarily even the communist world, because Korea is a you know a democracy in name, and um, they try so hard, but uh, but uh, the uh, you yeah, know but still it's is May Day. S-
1: yeah, I think that I would I would imagine it is because that the the May Day idea came out of the Enlightenment thinking as well, you know, so it, uh, it heavily influenced Karl Marx. Okay, uh, the Enlightenment thinking and, and atheistic thinking and rational thinking, so it is sort of an enlightenment idea of empowering the common man uh, you know the noble savage uh, rising up against the the brutal overlords um yeah. so i i would imagine that's that's what it had to do with but i don't know for sure
0: no, on your podcast, you always finish it up. Except one episode, I noticed you always finish it up with uh, 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 you know if if there was a, a fight between two people, who who would win? You always ask your guests that question. Except that your your last one with the. Uh, with the uh, the psychic, the uh, Vedic astrologer who channels for John Belushi and Tupac, uh, you, you you never did ask her if there was a fight between you know X and Y who would win. And I was just curious what like because near the end of that interview, and that was a really cut, great interview, and, and it's cu- kind of getting a lot of uh, a lot lot a lot of talk in the, sort of the skeptical world, but um um. Towards the end, it sounded like she was really losing it, like you know that towards she, the end, it sounded like that you say, yeah, yeah, well, no, like not just like I mean obviously she had kind of lost it you know <laughs> from age eighteen, but but you know, losing with you that it was really dawning on her that that you know she's probably is quite used to having just a very receptive audience full of yes men and you know and oh i will i will find my husband and i will win the lottery and and uh and and you weren't sort of that kind of audience so it it,
1: yeah she she emailed me out of the blue um she had had some sort of inter inter inter-psychic feud with (laughs) um, with this other psychic Named Chip Coffee, who I've written about a lot. Oh yes, yes, yes. Terrible, terrible man on the show Paranormal State, Psychic Kids. Right. And so she had found the amateur scientist website through that, and decided that I, since I was enemy of your enemy. Yeah, I guess I was an enemy of her enemy, so I was her friend. And she emailed me and offered to give me a psychic reading that would convince me of her (laughs) power. And wow. uh yeah, it, I mean, it's hard. It's a difficult situation because she's a very – her name is Beatrice Moreau. And, right. You know, she's an interesting woman. I mean, she used to date Robert Niro until he apparently got annoyed with her and told her to stop calling him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she – I mean, she's a very, very nice woman. I don't know – I don't believe that she has psychic powers. And if you listen to the interview, I don't think you will either. But um, right. but I don't know whether she's deluded or if she's just kind of making it all up for attention. She she does a lot of like celebrity name dropping.
0: Right, yes, and yes.
1: It talks a lot about, I mean, she's emailed me constantly since we did that interview about how we need to do a show together. <laughs> the, the psychic and the skeptic. Um, so all of that, like attention whoring and name dropping, sort of makes me think that maybe it's just all put on. But I, I, I really, I don't know for sure. But in that interview, by the, it's thirty set thirty six thirty seven minutes, I think, on the podcast. We talked okay. two hours. Okay.
0: And wow, it was you did a great job editing then.
1: It, well, <laughs> it took like a week straight of editing. And <laughs> I was just. After, after the the second or third hour of editing, I was thinking about just throwing my hands up and either putting the whole thing online unedited on and just saying, you know, listen at your Take own it. risk, or or just abandoning it entirely. But I was able to to get it down. I mean, it was two hours of nonstop. Just every time I would try to wrap it up, she would go off on another tangent. So I I sort of <laughs> lost it by the end. So that's why. Oh, okay. That's why there was no traditional outro for that interview.
0: Wow all right so let me let me ask you then uh, it, 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 in a fight uh, how, how do you always sort of? You always sort of sneak that one up on your guests because they don't really know you're going to ask them the fight question, and you always sort of sneak it up on them, like as if this is just a really final but very important question. Yeah. How,
1: you, you know how, how do you usually phrase it? I, I try to make it. I try to make it sound like it's going to be like the the ultimate summing up of what we've talked about so far. So that I have their full attention when I ask it, and right. and then right. they're sort of thrown for a loop, and and oftentimes right. I have to edit out a very long pause. As while they <laughs> absorb it, yeah, but most of them just, just they just burst out laughing. But you
0: had one guest who just thought it was like a sort of a metaphorical question, and he and he really tried to answer like you know like the metaphor, you know, yeah, as I, if you know
1: it was uh, the guest was Carl Geiberson, who um, wrote a book about uh, sort of embracing evolution okay. as a theist. And, okay and, and sort of retaining your your because he's a he's a religious man who believes in evolution of course right and yes. uh, he's a scientist yeah. so that's what we were talking he, I, he, I can't remember we, he gave a very very thoughtful answer which was great and then he kind of had to like
0: but no really I though think they, like, they, they were just duking it out
1: i think i might have asked him who would win in a fight between charles darwin and abraham lincoln but
0: uh, right yes okay i think
1: he he would took it as sort of like philosophically who yes was, yes yeah yeah no, I mean, I mean like bare knuckle, bare chested, Queensbury rules, yeah. fist fight.
0: <laughs> All right. So, so let me let me pose a question to you then. Uh, who would win in a fight between uh, uh, Governor George Wallace? He was the former governor of Alabama, mm-hmm. or was it Arkansas? All right. No, and, no, no,
1: that was that was. I have family from Arkansas, and and it's okay. a horrible, horrible place. But it was not. It was not the, the the ruler dictatorship of George Wallace. All
0: right, so Governor George Wallace, a fight between Governor George Wallace and uh, Larry Flint, but this is each are post assassin bullet, and uh, they're both in their wheelchair. Who would, ah
1: okay, so that's what that's what I was going to ask. Um, you know, I would I would have to give that to George Wallace because I believe that Larry Flint was partially paralyzed. Um, you know, of course he was partially paralyzed because he was in a wheelchair, but I think okay. like one half of his body. Oh, really? Oh, oh, right. Yes. That's why he kind of talks funny out of one side of his mouth. Um, and he's he's not in the best shape. I'm not really sure what kind of shape George Wallace is in, but but he did, and a lot of people don't know this, but George Wallace, uh, he didn't eat food or drink liquids like a normal human. He fed on pure hatred. Uh, <laughs> Which, like the emperor at the end of Star Wars, uh, you know that can be a very powerful thing. Um, so, if not, I mean, if not valved periodically, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and on the other hand, Larry Larry Flint feeds on burgers and lustfulness, um, <laughs> which are kind of the same thing, but they don't really translate to to physical capability. So, I'm going to have to give that to George Wallace, unfortunately. Although. I think that Larry Flint could, I mean, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword and Larry Flint has had the capacity in the past to dig up some very embarrassing dirt on politicians. That's true. Uh, So if he could come up with some sort of sex scandal to remove Wallace from office and remove him from the fighting rink beforehand, I, I think he might be able to pull out a sneaky win that way, but... If we're just talking physicality, I'm going to have to give it to George Wallace.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah. All right. Now, so I'm st- stealing one of your ideas. I think my, uh, my uh, conspiracy skeptic unplugged. My, my final question for my guests will be, uh, what, what is your favorite uh, small kitchen appliance? You know. And I, 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 got, I, I got to tell you, the only correct answer,
1: I believe, is bread maker. But yeah, I, go I, ahead. I, I I'm I'm afraid there are two kitchen appliances I'm definitely afraid of, and one is a bread maker, because I burned myself on one as a child and I never got over it. The other is a pressure cooker because it it seems oh, like yeah. it's just a, a nuclear bomb waiting to explode at any minute. <laughs> Absolutely, it, it's it, something it, only mothers know how to use. Those I know <laughs> they just they terrify me to know it I will not have one in the house. I'm okay. adamant against it. Um, but but you know. I'm gonna to have to answer with one I don't actually own right okay. now. I'm going to be ordering it. Um it's called the Slap Chop. Whoa. I don't I don't know who who's seen the commercials for the slap chop, but it's basically like um like a plastic egg with a plunger on the top, and on one end of the plunger are blades. And <laughs> you you put the egg over whatever it is you need to chop and you slap okay. the plunger and it's just a quick chopping action and you can keep slapping it to get as fine a chop as you need the reason this is my favorite small kitchen appliance now is because it's being sold by a guy named Vince (laughs) um, who you may also know as the guy who sells sham wows on the television ah
0: right yes yes I I, I saw that uh, I saw that infomercial the other day and I was like that's amazing, though Sham Wow. Yeah, but yeah then I, it's,
1: it I, is. The Sham Wow is amazing if if it actually works. But Vince yeah. is convinced that it does. I mean, he's wearing a okay. headset. He says it's made <laughs> in Germany. Um, he's. He, <laughs> that's the important part. It's yeah, made in Germany. Hey, that's what he says. He says it's made in Germany. So you know it's good. Um, that's the first time I've ever heard that before. But I'm willing to go with it because this is an interesting story that I had read about before, and then um, Elise on Skeptic wrote up a, a really great article about it but this guy vince is at war with the church of scientology oh because he was a a, a struggling actor in hollywood okay. and he sort of fell in with the church of scientology for the networking connections that they have at their celebrity center right, and yeah. he had this idea to create to direct write and direct uh a comedy it was so outrageous and so like disgusting and such like a shock gross out comedy that it would be immediately popular just by how disgusting it was. Um, I think he called it the, the underground comedy movie. And so that's how he was going to sell it. And he got all this money from different Scientologists, celebrity Scientologists and put the movie together and, and shot it and made it released it on DVD and, and sold it through infomercials. Okay. And, uh, and then the church saw it <laughs> and they saw how terrible it was. And for some reason, they got upset, even though this is the same church that bankrolled uh, Battlefield Earth. Uh, yes, yes. They apparently all of a sudden have some sort of standard of quality. But um, they got upset and they tried to excommunicate him. And, uh, you know, the this Church of Scientology has this policy of fair game where if, if a church deems yep. you an enemy for any reason, you know they they will spread lies about you they'll destroy your career, your character and they'll destroy destroy your career so they basically ruined this poor guy Vince and so he's had to go back to doing what he was doing before he became an actor which was selling these slap chops and shamwows at like trade shows <laughs> and stuff um and so he's built up this this mini empire of shamwells and slap chops. And he uses the proceeds to fight legal battles against the church of Scientology. Wow. Who knew? I (laughs) know. It's amazing. So I, I bought a slap chop. It should be coming to me in a matter of uh, four to six weeks. And uh, I don't know if it's any good, but but (laughs) I recommend people buy it. If only to fund a good cause, unless, unless this is just another scam on Vince's part. And, uh, and there's nothing to do with the Church of Scientology, and he's just uh, the anti Scientologist. But eh, regardless, I'll have a slap chop. So I guess it's a win-win.
0: Slap chop again. Okay. Definitely going to put a link to that on the uh, on, on the website. Yeah, please do. I'm sure Vince wow. needs the help.
1: All right.
0: Well, th- thanks a lot, Brian. It's been uh, been good talking to you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, oh yeah, the, the the these these inside 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 the conspiracy skeptic studio the. Uh, Conspiracy skeptic unplugged. Uh, the, these uh, these go on really long, mostly because, as you know, as a podcaster, uh, you don't get an opportunity to really talk to other human beings. You're just pretty much, you know, alone in this world, right? Yes, yes this is true. <laughs> So when you actually get a chance to talk to somebody, real, uh, you know, not claiming to be a cheerleader, then it's like you just like to talk a lot.
1: Yeah, running a website and and editing a podcast literally every waking hour, um, you know, you you tend to be alienated from humanity. So it's nice to hear a voice from time to time.
0: A real voice, yeah. (laughs) All right, then. Thanks again, Brian.
1: Thank you.
0: All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Australian scientists have discovered the fossilized remains of the first vertebrate ever known to reproduce through full penetration six. Oh yeah the 375 million year old placiderm fossil was found off the northwest coast of Australia with an umbilical cord and embryo still attached. Other fish just shot their loads all willy nilly on a pile of eggs. But the placoderm liked to take it gentle. The placoderm liked to take it slow. Some armored placoderms grew up to 20 feet long. You know that hurts so good. This new fossil extended the date for vertebrate sex nearly 200 million years. That's the biggest extension of paleobiological understanding I've ever had in my mouth. In your mouth? I'm sorry, what were we talking about? The fossil was named Matterpissus
0: Attenboroughi in honor of the naturalist Sir David Attenborough.
1: Who, by the way, was only the second vertebrate ever to get it on.